0: You're probably familiar with the phrase, hope springs eternal. So am I. I actually believe that phrase because I'm a Chicago Cubs fan. (laughs) Every year about this time, you know, spring training is over and this year the first day, opening day, Cubs play the Cardinals. And we watch on TV from afar and, and we look at the ivy out there on the wall as it begins to turn green. And we think, yeah, this year we're going to do it. It's entirely irrational. I know that. We never do. We're hapless, but we try. But, you know, that's a trivial hope, isn't it? It's almost silly, really. It's just a trivial, silly hope of a fan. In my case, somebody didn't even grow up in Chicago. I just like the Cubs. On the other hand, there is hope that's not trivial, Hope that is deep within the conscience of humanity. Hope that seems never to go away and it can't be suppressed. In 1982, Leonid Brezhnev, the general secretary for the Communist Party in Russia, passed away. And a remarkable thing happened at that funeral. His widow stood At his casket. And just seconds before. The soldiers put their hands to the lid to close it. She quickly placed her hand inside the casket. Over his chest. And did the sign of the cross. In the citadel of atheism. In a place where she believed. Her husband did not believe. She hoped. A hope that springs deep from the heart of mankind. That somehow, in spite of his unbelief, the grace of Jesus Christ and the resurrection would be applied to him. That's the kind of hope that's deep within everyone. I want to emphasize two and then a third hopes that are deep within us. Call them longings, if you like. They're in the human heart. First is the hope of restoration. Most of us would look around our world and say everything's okay, would we? We wouldn't say that everything has been put to rights, that everything is well-ordered. No, in fact, we look around ourselves and we think things are out of place, things are out of order. There is chaos, there is sin, there is death, there is murder. There is catastrophe. But we have deep within us a hope that somehow, someday, things will be restored. And we see it on the surface. We see it in our justice systems. When someone goes through the horror of a crime, the justice system allows them a hope for justice. And the court system allows them to walk through the process. And even when the verdict is correct according to the victim and to others, still they fall short. Because the one wounded or the one lost is still deeply wounded or lost. Justice is not completely accomplished even when our best efforts are at work. Perhaps you remember... Elections in this country or other places, politicians create great hope for those who would vote for them. They call for change. They call for things to be better, for restoration. But but of course, it never really comes to complete fulfillment. Even when their best attention is to detail and when their best intention is in line With what ought to be. Still, they fall short of the mark, and and still the solution is not complete. And, And often, the solution that we long to see comes with unintended consequences. We long deeply for hope. We look around ourselves, and some of you, right now, are staring into the face of a disease a disease that could take your life. Others of you, quite frankly, don't know you have a disease that could take your life. Here, I speak of physical diseases. And all over the world, scientists are doing miraculous things and coming up with cures. And we look for cures for this and that and the other. And we hope and we long for it. And we've eliminated some diseases, but still they remain. But yet the hope remains that somehow, someday, the cure will come an author, a Russian author named Dostoevsky, wrote a remarkable book. The book entitled Brothers Kermazov. The two main characters in Brothers Kermazov are Alyosha and Ivan. Alyosha is a believer and a gentle soul, tries to help people. Ivan is rather cynical, an unbeliever. He's an atheist, in fact. But in spite of Ivan's atheism, Dostoevsky shines a searchlight on the inner desires and hopes of his heart in one passage. Because Ivan is recorded, the atheist as saying, at the end of it all, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for. That all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage. That in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass. That it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all crimes, of humanity, of all the blood they've shed. That it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that's happened. Ivan, by the way, in the story remains an atheist, even though he has this abiding hope. Why? Because Ivan, the atheist who actually believes, simply does not accept. Dostoevsky is making a very profound point. The deepest source of unbelief is not the intellect, but the will. In Ivan's world, God is not kind enough. God's timing is not His timing. So He refuses to believe, to accept what He believes. But the reality is this, my friends. Because of the resurrection, that hope That hope for resurrection, that hope for restoration, it's grounded in the historical reality of Jesus Christ being raised. You know, I've repeated it over and over again, that in the history of the Christian faith, we need not focus in a singular way on the fact that Christ was raised. Because... He certainly was. It's not just a historical event that Christ overcame death, but He certainly did. The reality of the resurrection is far deeper than that. The reality of the resurrection is to pronounce a gigantic yes over the hope that's deep within humanity that someday, because Christ was raised, everything will be restored. There's another hope that's deep within the heart of humanity. It's a hope for forgiveness. You know the hope. Because it's your hope. You know alienation from friends, from family, from colleagues. And you know, don't you? It's never a one-way street. You know that you're part of the story, that you have contributed in some way to the alienation between your friend or your family or your colleagues and you long deeply, oh so deeply, to be forgiven. To be forgiven so hope could be restored. Ernest Hemingway has a remarkable story entitled, The Capital of the World. Maybe you've heard of it. In the story he tells about a father and a son. A teenage son who's estranged from his father because of some wrong he'd committed. And because he's full of shame, sounds so much like the story of the prodigal son. He runs away from home. The teenage son just disappears and the father longing to see him and extend to him forgiveness, looks for him all over the country of Spain. And at the end of this futile hunt for his son, as a last-ditch effort, he takes out an ad in the local morning newspaper in Madrid, the capital of the world. And the newspaper ad says simply this. The son's name was Paco. Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montano, noon Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. The father rose uh, the next morning and went to the hotel and was shocked. There was an entire squadron of police officers who'd been called out in an attempt to keep order among 800 young men named Paco. All of them seeking the forgiveness of their father. What's your name? In that story, my name's Paco. I'm the son who has wandered and sometimes continues to wander away from my heavenly father. And I'm the son and maybe you're the daughter who longs deeply to be forgiven. And the ad in God's newspaper is just the same. Come to me. All is forgiven. We have a deep longing for restoration. We have a deep longing for forgiveness. And we have a deep longing deep within us for righteousness. We do. In the tradition that I embrace, the Reformed tradition, I emphasize and perhaps overemphasize the notion of inbred, deep human sin. That at the core of my being, I'm a person who doesn't go towards God. I'm a person who walks away from God. Instead of being God-centered, I'm self-centered. And I embrace that completely. But let's remember, let's remember... The humanity is irreducibly complex, and parallel to that desire to walk away from God is also a strange desire to be reconciled to God and to be righteous. How many of you woke up this morning wanting to be a murderer? Wanting to leave your spouse. Wanting to be angry with your friends. Wanting to be violent with other people. Wanting to do all sorts of evil. You didn't. Of course you didn't. Because deep within you, you want to be right. You want to be righteous. You want to do what is good. In spite of your sin, you want that. And in spite of your best efforts, you can never achieve it. You try and you fail. You think you've got it and you realize how deeply flawed you are. And sometimes you feel like giving up, don't you? The longing of the human heart to be forgiven. That longing is there for a reason. And that longing, which is a hope, has a promise. You'll be forgiven and you can be made righteous. One of my favorite stories of all times is a story called The Ragman. Let me read it to you. I saw a strange sight. I stumbled upon a story most strange like nothing my street sense, my sly tongue, had ever prepared me for. Even before dawn one Friday morning, I noticed a young man, handsome and strong, walking the alleys of our city. He was pulling an old cart filled with clothes, bright and new, and he was calling in a clear, tenor voice, Rags! Rags! Ah, the uh, the air was foul and the first light filthy to be crossed by such sweet music. Rags, new rags for old. I take your tired rags. Now this is a wonder, I thought to myself, for the man stood six foot four and his arms were like tree limbs, hard and muscular, and his eyes flashed intelligence. Could he find no better job than this to be the rag man in the inner city? And I followed him. My curiosity drove me. I wasn't disappointed. Soon the ragman saw a woman sitting on her back porch. She was sobbing into her handkerchief, sighing and shedding a thousand tears. Her knees and elbows made a X, a sad X on her body. Her shoulders shook. Her heart was breaking. The ragman stopped his cart quietly. He walked to the woman, stepping around tin cans. Dead toys and pampers. Give me your rag, he said so gently, and I'll give you another. He slipped the handkerchief from her eyes. She looked up and he laid across her palm a linen cloth so clean and new that it shined. She blinked from the gift to the giver, and then as he began to pull his card again, The ragman did a strange thing. He put her stained handkerchief over his face. And he began to weep, to sob as grievously as she had done, his shoulders shaking. Yet she was left without a tear. That is a wonder. I breathed to myself and I followed the sobbing ragman like a child who couldn't turn away from a mystery. Rags, rags, new rags for old. In a little while, when the sky showed gray behind the rooftops, I could see the shredded curtains hanging out of black windows. The ragman came upon a girl whose head was wrapped in a bandage, whose eyes were empty. Blood soaked through her bandage, and a single line of blood ran down her cheek. The ragman looked at the girl with pity and drew a lovely bonnet from his cart. Give me your rag, he said, tracing his own line on her cheek, and I'll give you mine. The child could only gaze at him while he loosened the bandage, removed it, and tied it to his own head. The bonnet, he set on hers. And I gasped at what I saw, for the bandage, with it, went the wound against his brow. It ran a darker, more substantial blood, his own. Rags, rags, I take rags. Cried the sobbing, bleeding, strong, intelligent ragman. The sun hurt both the sky now and my eyes. The ragman seemed more and more in a hurry. Are you going to work? He asked a man who was leaning up against a telephone pole. The man shook his head. The ragman pressed him. Do you have a job? Are you crazy? sneered the other. He pulled away from the pole, revealing the right sleeve of his jacket. Flat, the cuff tucked into the pocket. He had no arm. So, said the ragman, give me your jacket. And I'll give you mine. Such quiet authority in his voice. The one armed man took his jacket off, and so did the ragman. And I trembled at what I saw, for the ragman's arm stayed in its sleeve. And when the other put it on, he had two good arms, thick as tree limbs. But the rag man had only one. Go to work, he said. After that, he found a drunk lying unconscious beneath an army blanket, an old man hunched and sick. He took the blanket and wrapped it around himself. But for the drunk, he left a new set of clothes. And now I had to run to keep up with the ragman, though he was weeping uncontrollably and bleeding freely from the forehead, pulling his cart with one arm, stumbling for drunkenness, falling again and again, exhausted, old, old and sick. Yet he went with such terrible speed. On spider's legs, he skittered through the alleys of the city, this mile and the next, until he came to its limits, and then he rushed beyond. I wept to see the change in this man. I hurt to see him in such sorrow. And yet I needed to see where he was going in such haste, perhaps to know what drove him so. The little old rag man. He came to a landfill. He came to the garbage pits. And then I wanted to help him in what he did. But I hung back. Hiding. He climbed a hill. He pillowed his head on a handkerchief and a jacket. He covered his bones with an army blanket. And he died. Oh, how I cried to witness the death. I slumped in a junk car and wailed and mourned as someone who had no hope because I'd come to love the ragman. Every other face had faded in the wonder of this man and I cherished him, but he died. I sobbed myself to sleep. I did not know, how could I know, that I slept through Friday night and Saturday and it's night too. But then, on Sunday morning, I was awakened by a violence. Light, pure, hard, demanding light, slammed against my sour face and I blinked and I looked and I saw the first and the last of it all. There was the rag man, folding the blanket most carefully. A scar on his forehead, but alive And besides that, healthy. There was no sign of sorrow nor of age. And all the rags he had shined for cleanliness. Well then, I lowered my head. And trembling for all I had seen, I myself walked up to the rag man. I told him my name with shame. For I was a sorry figure next to him. Then... I took off all my clothes in that place, and I said to him with dear yearning in my voice, Dress me. And he dressed me. My Lord, he put new rags on me, and I'm a wonder beside him. The ragman, the ragman, the Christ. Deep within the human heart, there's a longing for restoration. And because Christ was raised, all things will someday be made new. Trust it. There's a deep longing in the human heart for forgiveness. And because Christ was raised, you too can experience forgiveness received from Christ and given the way Christ gave it to you. Believe in him. There's a deep longing in every human heart to be righteous. And that righteousness will never be fulfilled by our efforts. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The promise written over that hope is that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God if you receive him by faith. There may be some here this morning who have not received him by faith. Have your hope restored. It's not difficult. It can be done in the silence of your heart right now. You simply say to Jesus Christ, You know who I am. But I admit it before you. I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. I long for restoration. I long for righteousness. Please become my righteousness. I will follow you. If you pray a prayer like that today, your life will be transformed. Perhaps you have prayed a prayer like that before. And perhaps the difficulties of life have almost crowded out your faith and the hope that you once that had that seems so vibrant is almost a distant memory. Believe again. Reach back in history and grasp with all your strength the hope of Jesus Christ raised and you'll be renewed. Let's pray. Our Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that on a day like this where we celebrate, we remember that you were raised from the dead. You were raised from the dead so that through your resurrection power, all things will be made new. And a day is coming, Lord, we believe it. We believe it because you said it in the revelation of John, there'll be a day when no more Crying or sorrow or sadness or death or dying of any sort will exist. Everything will be made new because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we walk through life and we know we need forgiveness. And we ask, Lord, on this day that you will forgive us again. But especially, Lord, for that one who hasn't received you as his or her Lord, we pray that you will give them the faith to say, my Lord and my God, I believe. I need your forgiveness. We all long for righteousness, Lord, and we never measure up. But in Christ, our righteousness is found. So we pray today, Lord, for those of us who already believe and whose faith seems to wane on any number of occasions, that you will renew our faith. That you will give us that deep sense of your presence. So that we can believe once again in restoration, in forgiveness, and in the righteousness that comes from Christ and Christ alone. In whose name we pray. Amen. Usually at the end of our worship,